I appreciate Scott the last two weeks uh, teaching us and what a great job he did. Wasn't it wonderful? I listened to it. I, I went on and listened to the recording. It was such a blessing to me. And of course, Barbara's testimony last week. Wow. Or two, is that two weeks ago? I listened to both of them last week. And that was powerful. Man, oh man. So God is moving. Good things happening. We do want to lift up some requests this evening as we get started. And I want to always welcome our live stream audience. If you're just uh, watching us tonight from home or maybe traveling and you've got it on the iP iPhone or whatever, make sure you're not driving while you watch it. But uh, <laughs> uh, we, we just welcome you. Um, uh, Frank, just share with me. We need to pray for his daughter. Her name is Karen. Karen was taken in for a gallbladder surgery. And let's pray for her and, uh, and just lift her to the Lord tonight. And then also remember, keep Kay Staples in your prayers. Uh, Kay uh, got some very, very difficult news from the doctor. She's been facing and fighting cancer for several years, and she is a fighter. Uh, but uh, she really is needing our prayers tonight, and her family as well, okay? Um, let's also remember Shirley Morgan as she continues to receive treatment uh, and she's doing well, I think, overall, but she does have her moments, I'm sure, where uh, you know what it's like if you're receiving certain kind of treatment for cancer or anything else. It can really weigh heavy on you, and we just need to keep her in prayer. And others as well. There's others. Nancy Altick, I think, is facing surgery, and some others have some things going on. So let's remember them in prayer tonight. Can we do that? Yes. Excuse me, yes, George, it's a, it's a, what's it called, peri, it's a heart issue, it's a, I forget the name of it, but anyway, it's a, it's like a disease that he has uh, that affects the heart, but it's something they believe they can treat, so that's good news. Um, they think that's probably is what caused him to faint when he was at church about three or four weeks ago, and so they're working on that, and he have, has some other extenuating circumstances that he's facing and they have to work through all of that. So let's just keep George uh, in prayer. And also, you know, it's not easy on Phyllis either, you know, and uh, both of them. Phyllis, if you've noticed, at times comes with a walker to church. Uh, sometimes she loses her balance or she uh, stumbles. And so both of them could use our prayers as well. Good. Let's do it. Well, Father, there's nothing greater that we can accomplish tonight than prayer. Even the Bible teaching takes a back seat in the sense that this is an opportunity to align with your will, to come into agreement with you. We, to do that, we have to first understand that you are a sovereign God, and every one of these situations that we have lifted up, uh, you are fully aware of them, and you have a plan for each one of them. Lord, sometimes I was talking to Barbara before, and uh, she made it clear that even through the trial and the the, the journey of setback that she faced uh, with the brain bleed, yet uh, through it, she, God, you have worked in her. And she said, I have learned things through that process. And she comes out of this different than when she went in. And so we know that that's the kind of God that we serve, a God who doesn't waste any circumstance or any situation. Sometimes, Lord, you even cause them. You allow them, and sometimes you cause them because it's part of your good work. So we don't question you because you know everything. We don't. 
But Lord, we do lift up these burdens. And you told us in the scripture to be careful in nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll, not, and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. That, that's your heart's desire is for our heart to line up with your heart in our prayer life that we might receive exactly what you have in store to give. And so, Father, we do that tonight for these that we love so, so much. We pray that you would be with those who do not know you personally, that might be facing sickness, that you would uh, come near to them. They would see who you are, maybe through a nurse or a doctor or through a family member who's praying for them while they are down, and it would cause them to turn back to you. We think about those who are just going through a steady journey of trial and they're having to face continual care. And Lord, we pray that you would just lift their spirit, strengthen their heart, undergird them, Lord. Allow them to know that you are with them. They are not alone. Uh, you'll never leave us or forsake us, it says in the Old Testament. And we, we stand on those promises and we stand in their behalf that they would be cared for and taken care of. And we give you praise tonight, Lord, that we can open the word and just as in prayer, we want to line up with God. That's what we do in the Word. It just purifies us. It, it's it's, it's uh, you taking a scalpel and going in our, in our heart and doing surgery and healing us. Healing us. First, you have to cut us. And then you have to mend us. And that's exactly what you do. And I pray that tonight, Lord, uh, many will experience the, the care, the nurture, but also the surgery of the Lord, if it would make us better Christians and allow us to fulfill your will on this earth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love that passage in Hosea chapter 6. In Hosea 6, it talks about, uh, let's return to the Lord. Let's come back to God. Let's repent of our sins. And at first... Um, He's going to break us. But then after he breaks us, he will then restore us. He'll mend us. And it's the picture that God gave us. We didn't come up with this analogy, but God gave the picture of a shepherd to a, to a sheep. And if a sheep is wandering, a shepherd has a, a staff. You guys know what the staff looked like. On one end, it had a very large hook. We see the staff with a little hook on it, almost like a cane. That's not what it is. It's actually a large hook. And then on the other end is just a pole, you know. And, and he, he, could, he could reach out, if necessary, and hook the sheep and pull them back. That's the loving care of a shepherd. And then there were times where the sheep would run quickly, and he would have to run after it, and he would take and turn the staff around with the pole, he would swat it across its hind leg, oftentimes breaking the leg so that the sheep would stop running. And then he would go over and pick up the sheep and hold it close and take it back to the fold and mend the broken bone. But in doing that, he was saving the sheep. A wandering sheep becomes easy prey in Australia, which is the greatest, I mean, that's, you won't find more, more shepherds and more sheep than in Australia. And uh, they, they, they say that they have over there the eagle hawk. It's an eagle hawk, and the wingspan is like six feet or longer. It's just huge. 
It can pick up small animals and haul them away. And that's what they would do. They would swoop in on a wandering sheep. And at first they, they swoop in and they hit the sheep with their talons and they poke the eyes out. They blind the sheep so it can't go back to the flock. And then they come in and they take the sheep. And, and, and so a loving shepherd, when a loving shepherd sees a sheep that's heading to trouble, is wandering away from the shepherd, the good shepherd, will sometimes have to cause harm to the sheep for the purpose of, of comforting the sheep and bringing the sheep back. And that's what God does to us. He allows these things to happen in our lives. And if we are looking to Him and we will listen to Him, He will mend us through the brokenness. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's the beauty of our God. That's how our God works. And I'm just so thankful for that. I, I'm just so thankful that God loves me that way, that He would, uh, he would break me in order to repair me, to mend me. And uh, so let's get started if we can. We'll look at 1 Kings 13 tonight. Scott took us through chapter 12 and chapter 11 over the last two weeks. Great job. And so tonight, if we can just quickly, very quickly, let me just summarize where we've been the last few chapters, even going back before chapter 12 or chapter 11. But Solomon's kingdom was an outstanding example of wealth and military power and prestige. Yet the true security of Israel did not rest in those things. The true security of Israel rested in the blessing of God. The blessing of God. If we'll simply obey God, if we'll only line up with God, if we'll fear the Lord more than we fear anything else, then that's the true safety of Israel. That's the security that we need that we want. And of course, we know what happened. God promised the entire kingdom of Israel to the descendants of David forever. Wow. If they only remained obedient. So take your Bible and let's go back in the in Kings to 1 Kings chapter 2. I want to remind you what God said about Israel and the relationship that he would have with Israel. It was he was speaking to King David, Solomon's father. And this was at a time when David was near death. In 1 Kings chapter 2, just verse 1 there, and I'll start with 1. In 1 Kings chapter 2, when David's time to, draw, to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish, here it is, his word that he spoke concerning me. So now David's going to tell Solomon what God told him. If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul. You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. What a great word from God. Can you imagine what that must have uh, meant to David? Because David had his own sins, yet God forgave David. The Psalms clearly show us that beautiful poetic picture of God's restoration of David, his confession, his repentance, his... Uh, 
his restoration. And, and here, he's recalling what God told him about his sons. David, when your sons take over, if they will obey me as you have. And you say, well, David didn't always obey the Lord. But here's the difference. David's heart never turned to false idols. He had a heart after God. And that's what God is saying. If your sons will do the same, then I'm going to be faithful to them. And, and they'll not you'll not, your family will not lack the throne of Israel. So powerful word. Let's go back now to 1 Kings 13. Before we get there, so Solomon, Solomon is now king, and Solomon breaks God's conditional promise that God made to David his father, and that David communicated with Solomon. Solomon couldn't remain faithful. Listen, God said if your sons, plural, meaning multiple, multiple generations going forward, they couldn't even get past the first generation. And, and I forget where it's recorded. I think it might be in... I want to say Leviticus, but I'm probably wrong. Could be Numbers. But where God actually, he, he, the, through, through a man of God, a prophet, he actually said, in the, the, your generation knows me. You walked with me. You saw with your eyes as I opened the Red Sea and allowed you to cross over. You know me. You experienced who I am as your God. Your sons and daughters, you're going to have to watch very closely. And you're going to have to pour into them these stories of what I did, what you saw me do. You've got to constantly remind them because they won't see the experience for themselves. And if you don't pour into them when they have children the children won't have any regard for God. If that's not a picture of, in a microcosm, America. When we first came over from Europe and from England, people came because they wanted freedom in their worship of God. And, and they saw God move. How in the world do you explain a Continental Congress that meets and they're trying to write a constitution and they argue for days and days and days and they can't come together. They don't want to agree on anything. Finally, someone said, look, Sundays, tomorrow, don't go home. Don't leave frustrated. Don't quit. Let's go to church. Let's go to church. And they went to church and a pastor delivered a message that reinforced in each one of them what this new nation is all about. They went back and sat down, and I think within a day and a half or two days, they finished the Constitution. The influence of God, of the Word of God in America is undeniable. How He delivered uh, this young nation in the American Revolution. I mean, really, it's just amazing. All the way through, we could see God's hand on our nation. Yet today, the generation today, they don't know God. You know why they don't know God? Because their parents, those my age, were raised, many, in homes that went to church. 
But the parents didn't know God either other than through a religious Sunday experience. And so people my age said, well, I don't care to do that. That's just a religious experience. And many of them started to drift. And then their children are now the ones that we see that are completely against God. Our nation, every generation, has drifted further from God. Well, this is exactly what he's speaking of here. This is exactly what God told David. I'll bless you through your sons if they'll remain faithful. But God knew because he has foreknowledge. He knew they would not remain faithful. And so because of Solomon's sin, early he started out great following the Lord. Why? Because he knew what God had done for his dad. But then he started marrying women from other nations who brought their own gods into Israel, and he began to worship their gods with them. Why? For one reason, he loved these women. He loved the women more than he loved God. And now Israel is in complete apostasy. So God brought judgment with two stipulations uh, upon Solomon. Number one, I will tear the kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to your servant. Wow. Because you have not remained faithful to me like your father David was faithful and like he told you, I will rip this nation from you. I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the, out of your hand, uh, out of the, out of the hand of your son. So he, not only did he tell him that, that now, you know, the nation is going to be torn apart, it's not going to happen in your lifetime, but your son will be the one that the nation will be torn in, in under his leadership. And number two, however, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David. For David's sake and for Jerusalem, God allowed uh, uh, Solomon's son to be the king over Judah. And that's it. That's it. So, because of Solomon's sin and adultery, God sent a prophet to Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, that he would one day be the king of Israel. This was the servant that would one day become the king. And God gave him a conditional blessing that if he faithfully followed God, he would be blessed. Now, once Rehoboam became king, Jeroboam would have been the servant that God spoke of to Solomon that's going to be raised up, your servant's going to become a king. Rehoboam, R-E-H, he is the son of Solomon. He was supposed to be the king over all of Israel, but he's the one who God would tear the nation apart under his leadership. And so that's exactly what happens. He immediately makes decisions based on his own prideful heart. When he becomes king... The people under Solomon had been taxed very heavily. And, uh, and obviously, some incredible things happened under Solomon. But there was a great price that the people paid. And now, all of a sudden, uh, Jeroboam, or Rehoboam becomes king. And the people cry out, we'll follow you if you lift the heavy taxation. It's been ridiculous what your dad put on us. Well, he goes and seeks the counsel of the elders... And they tell him, do what the people are saying. Listen to what they're saying. Now, I'm, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not, I don't want to give you the impression that the elders were acting according to God. They were not. First of all, a pastor is not to listen to what the people say 
at the expense of listening to what God is saying. You, you understand? And they were saying, well, go listen to the people because you don't want to lose them. That's the only way you'll keep them if you do what they say. But here's what the elders didn't tell him. Return to God and God will take care of these matters. Return to God. Stop worshiping false idols. They didn't say that to him. They were more concerned about the immediate temporal need, getting the people to stay faithful. And so then he goes to the young friends, the people who grew up with him, his buddies. Hey, what should I do? The people say, I'm tax the, my father taxed too heavy. What should we do? They said, double tax them. What are you talking about? They're going to complain, lay it on them heavier. And that's what he did. And of course, the northern kingdom, ten tribes said, that's fine, go ahead. Uh, and he sent out the... the uh, what would be like a, a tax collector to collect taxes from the northern kingdom, and what happened? They stoned him to death. And Rehoboam realized, oh my goodness, they are not with me. And he went back to Jerusalem. So this is the story that we've come into tonight. So let's go ahead and pick up, if we can, in our text, chapter 13. And behold, a man of God came out of, the, out of Judah... By the word of the Lord to Bethel. So now there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom that's being run by Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and that's covering Judah, which included Benjamin. Okay? And then there's the northern kingdom of the other ten tribes, and that's Jeroboam who is the king. And it says here, a man of God. So this would be a prophet or a uh, 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 yeah, prophet of the Lord, who has come out of Judah, out of the southern kingdom, by the word of the Lord, and he went to Bethel. If I could explain to you, when Jeroboam became king in the north, he actually built these high places, these shrines to false gods. He built one way up in the far north. He built one in the central, Shechem, and then he built one that was down closer towards Judah, but still in the northern kingdom, and that was Bethel. And this is where this prophet from Judah went up to, to Bethel. And this is such a sad commentary on the spiritual state of, of the northern kingdom. They didn't even have a messenger who would go to the southern kingdom to send messages. They had nothing to do with them. So the southern kingdom had to send a messenger to the north. And... and uh, so here we go, verse 1. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. This is not an, offer, an altar for God, worshiping God. This is a false idol worship. And the man cried against the altar, this, this man of God who came from Judah, he cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Okay, here it is, just God's word to the altar. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, and he gives the name Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you, on this altar. He will sacrifice what? The priests of the high places who make offerings to you, on you. And human bones shall be burned on you. So he's speaking a judgment from God to the northern kingdom for these high places and these altars that they built. This is a remarkable prophecy that would be fulfilled through Josiah, the king of the southern kingdom. Guess how long it would take before this prophecy came true? 340 years. 340 years later, Josiah brought revival 
in the south. And he went north and started tearing down all these high places. 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 15. Just write it down. 2 Kings 23, 15. Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made, is, made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed who had predicted these things. So 340 years later, exactly what this man of God prophesied to, Je to Jeroboam, it came true. So this was more, though, than just a pronouncement of a judgment, okay, against the altar. It's also an announcement from God that judgment would come through a ruler of Judah. So this is the northern kingdom. And the southern kingdom is going to rise up, and they're, I'm going to use them to judge you. Okay, This prophecy was not only a rebuke, but a source of concern to Jeroboam, who was always aware of this prophecy. And for the rest of his days, he wondered when that prophecy was going to happen. He was not aware that it would take 340 years. So he lived out his day. So here's the result. Here's the, here's the, the benefit of sin. Go ahead and sin, and for the rest of your days, you will live in fear of what God will do to you. I don't care who I speak with regarding the issues of our day. If I were to just take the LGBTQ, XYZ, whatever, and I don't mean that laughingly. I, I mean, they've got so many names, I can't keep up with it. But you take that whole thing, and they will look at you, they will scream at you that they are right and you are wrong. You take those who right now in our nation are protesting against the decision of the Supreme Court regarding abortion. They are yelling from the top of their lungs how angry they are. Let me just tell you something. Deep down, in the heart of every man and every woman, the conscience is working against them and the Holy Spirit is convicting them. I'll tell you how I know that that's true. I know it's true because the Word of God says it. And I know it's true because I've got a couple letters in particular in my file cabinet from people who were very much full-blown into the homosexual community, one of which was one of their spokesmen. And both of them came to Jesus Christ and were delivered from that sinful lifestyle. Both of them said to me, and there's been others too, but these two in particular both said, even while I sat in the pew chair listening to you, angry against everything you're saying. I kept feeling something telling me, you need to go back. You need to go back. And the more I listened, God began to penetrate my, my heart. And this person said to me in particular, they said, Pastor Greg, don't ever stop preaching the truth. The whole time, while I was even a spokesperson, speaking against people like you, Deep in my heart, I knew that you were speaking truth. 
What people present you in public is not what they are experiencing on the inside. Jeroboam, while he might have projected life was good, he always, in the back of his mind, wondered what day will come when this prophecy will come true. He didn't live to see it, but he went to his grave concerned about it, guaranteed. So for us, we need to keep speaking truth, just like this man of God spoke truth to him. And it didn't go well for the man of God in the end. In fact, it wasn't going to go well for him under Jeroboam, but God delivered him from Jeroboam's uh, attack. Uh, we'll continue here and we'll see that. Verse 1 again, Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. So he was in the middle of making offerings when this prophet of God comes and says, Bud, that altar that you're making offerings on, God's going to use that to judge Israel. And uh, so 2 Kings 23, here it is, listen. Moreover, the altar of Bethel, the high place erected to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he goes on, he, again, he's reinforcing, he's saying, everything that I said, that the prophet said, 340 years later, came true. Not one ounce of it did not happen. Every bit of it. That's how faithful God is to his word. When he says it, you better believe it. Amen? Okay, so even though the prophecy wouldn't be fulfilled for 340, Jeroboam was uh, shaken by it. And verse 3, And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and ashes that are on it shall be poured out. This is the man of God speaking. So God confirmed his word by a sign. The altar will split in two, and the ashes on the altar will be poured out. That is, a, by the way, a direct rebuke to the idolatrous worship that was happening at that altar. Verse 4, And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, when he heard that the sign, the altar was going to be broken in two, immediately Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar saying, Seize him! He's pointing at the man of God. He lifted his arm. He outstretched his arm to the man of God. Seize him! Arrest him! Because what he's saying, I don't want to hear it. He's saying exactly what I don't want to hear. And as soon as his arm went out, he stretched out his arm, it dried up. His arm withered. Could you imagine that? Sticking your arm out against God's person and immediately it just shrivels up. Wow. Talk about God moving on the moment. If that doesn't grab your attention, what would you do if that happened to you? I know what I think, I hope I know what I would do. I would immediately repent. God, forgive me for, for speaking against your man. Forgive me for the sins I've committed. Well, that's not what happens here. Let's look further here. He drew it back to himself, and the altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar. So God did exactly what he said that he was going to do through the uh, prophet uh, immediately. And according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. So, so instead of responding, think about this. God in his, I'm going to say this, God in his grace sends a messenger from another part of Israel. They're not even under your kingdom. But because he's reaching out to you, you he's, he's telling you judgment's coming your way. That is an invitation to repent. 
Jeroboam had no desire to repent. The opposite was in his mind. Shut that man up. I don't want to hear about God. Shut that... Whoop, just rip, withers. Holy mackerel. Wow. <laughs> I love that. And, and so now... God confirms his word of judgment in two ways. First, he judged the disobedient king at the precise point of his most glaring sin. What was the glaring sin? You outstretched your arm towards the man of God to arrest him? Really? Well, God immediately judged him for that. And then secondly, he fulfilled the immediate word against the altar. The altar literally broke up and the ashes poured out. God's like, I will have no other gods before me. I am the one true and living God. And he proves it right there on the spot. Then look at verse 6. And the king said to the man of God, entreat now, <laughs> now that his hands withered, he looks at him and he says, entreat now the favor of the Lord your God. Ooh. Your God did this to me. I'm asking you to go back to your God and ask him to heal me. Look, and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. Isn't that interesting how Jeroboam came under immediate and also future judgment? He had no use for golden calves or their altars when he was in trouble. When his arm withered, he had already given golden calves altars all over the northern kingdom. He didn't go to any of those to get help with his withered arm. He turned to the one true and living God through the man of God and said, Would you help me? But the sad thing is that your God will help me. Are you kidding me? Why didn't he say with a withered arm, oh God, forgive me, and repent, and ask God to forgive him for his sinful ways as a king? The Lord would have restored him. I, be I really believe that. But now, knowing sovereign God, God has a plan in everything, right? So, interestingly enough, uh, I think the point out of this story is that Jeroboam resisted God. And when he couldn't resist God, he tried to silence those who represent God, the man of God. Is that not what we see happening today? We speak in the name of the Lord with love. Speak the truth in love. Now that was given in the epistle, so it was for believers among believers. Speak to each other with love. But in the world, speak truth. But do it lovingly. Don't be angry at people. The anger is not towards the person. It shouldn't be. If it is, that's sinful. No, you, you hate what they're representing. Now, this idea, this, this, this concept that we've all bought into at some point or another and have said it, probably every one of us, God hates the sin and loves the sinner. That's not totally true. God hates the sin and loves the sinner. If that's true, then why do sinners go to hell? Sin doesn't go to hell. Sinners do. If that doesn't drive home the reason why you need to be more forthright in speaking truth, I don't know what will help you. 
It's not about just loving people who are in sin. It's about speaking against sin because that sin will send them to hell. Do you really love them? Speak the truth. And in speaking the truth, what will the response be? Be quiet. I don't want to hear that. Don't, don't talk about that. In my home, when you come to my home and visit, please leave your God stuff out of here. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You ever had anybody like that? I've had it. I've even had it in my family. It happens. You've had it in your family. They don't want to hear it. It's interesting. That's exactly what's happening here. Jeroboam didn't want to hear it. So what did he do? He took it out on the messenger because he couldn't do anything to God. So he wanted to strike the messenger. Then when the messenger... Now think about that. Let's put this picture. So you go to speak a word from God to this man and his response is, arrest that... And his arm withers. And the guy who's trying to persecute you for speaking for the Lord then turns to you with a withered arm and says, hey, um, could, could you ask your God to heal me? The guy who's trying to persecute you is now asking for your help. And you do it. Yes, I will pray to my God that he will heal you. Wow. What a picture of a Christian. Amen? See, God is not a power or a source that we wield against people. Our God is forgiving. Our God is merciful. Our God is gracious. Therefore, when somebody acts against us, we don't personally, we don't take it personal. We continue to represent God. And then if they turn around because something bad happens to them for persecuting us, we try to help them. <laughs> and, and, and then possibly God moves in them and they get saved. Maybe they don't, like this guy. But he still wanted to be friends after this. When his arm was healed, he's like, oh, you're, you're, you're not a bad guy. Hey, come to my house. Look what he says here. It gets interesting. King says, entreat now the favor of the Lord and, and pray for my hand. And he does, and God heals. And, and then it says in verse 7, And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. So he goes from wanting to arrest him to giving him a reward. Now, why would he say, come and refresh yourself? I'll tell you why. Because when this man of God left Judah, he was on a mission for God. He fasted. God actually told him, do not take water from them and do not eat their bread. Go and deliver the message and then return to me. And don't return the way you came. Go a different route. God wanted him to deliver a message to a lost nation, and then I want you to get out of there and return to me. So this, this man of God was hungry. You could see it. Jeroboam could see this man was weary. He was weakened by his journey, but he was faithful to the message. Don't, listen, as you are faithful to God, there are moments where you feel, I don't have what I need to continue on. I need to pull back. I'm not going to be a faithful servant. Be faithful. Remain faithful. Seek God. God will deliver you. But don't, don't not be faithful to God. Don't give in because of your physical need. And this is what he does. 
He asked him to come to his house. And the man of God said to the king, look at this, man. I mean, God gave this guy a strict order. If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you, and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you, that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Wow. Now verse 11. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel. This is not the man of God from Judah. This is, a man of, this is a, a, an old prophet who lived in Bethel in the, under the nation of Israel, under Jeroboam's rule. And, and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they also told him, their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? And his sons showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. So he's under a shaded tree, probably completely wore out in his journey, tired, weary, hungry, thirsty, but he's trying to be faithful. And this, this older man of God from Bethel comes to him. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under the oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in, in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall not neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And, a, and an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. Now look what it says here in the text. But he lied. This older prophet did not hear from God. He did not hear from an angel of the Lord, a messenger from God. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't hear from an angel, a fallen angel, a demonic spirit that told him to go and lie to this man. That's possible. But he didn't say that. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. He was so faithful on the front side going there. He was faithful to deliver the news. He was faithful to God and obedient. He wouldn't take the king's food. And on his way out, a different way as he was supposed to go, he's sitting under a tree weary and tired, and Satan sends someone to lie to him and make it look as if it's God speaking. This is a man of God who's speaking to, and probably it says he was an older man, right? An older prophet. So this younger guy is looking at him with respect. I mean, there's so many nuances to this story. He's tired, he's weary, he's thirsty, he's, he's without food. He's trying to be faithful, he's resting. And it appears that God sent someone to tell him, it's okay, take some food. This guy's older, this guy seems to be a knowledgeable man. He's speaking the word of the Lord, he's a prophet. And he was a prophet. 
but he was a prophet that lied. And this servant of God gave in to it. What, what's the outcome of this story? You've got to remain true to the Word of God. You can't go three-quarters of the way. You can't go halfway. You can't go nine-tenths. Be faithful to God. Go all the way with God. This servant, this man of God, did not do that. He guaranteed there had to be suspicion that came upon him when this man walked up and said what he said. Well, why would God send an angel to him to tell me to go eat when God himself told me not to eat? Something doesn't sound right. I'm going to need a confirmation from God before I go forward. Even though my physical body is yearning for food and for, for thirst, of thirst. But he didn't do that. He just gave in to his temptation of wanting to eat. And he went with the man. Uh, Write these down. This might be helpful to you because we want to parallel this part of the story to our own journey with God and being faithful with God. And these are the kinds of things we have to look out for because they'll knock you off course. They'll rob you of the joy of obedience that comes when you're faithful to God. First of all, the prophet from Bethel was probably older Sometimes people in the world come to you and they seem to have great wisdom. They have more experience. And we start listening to what they're saying. Let's say that God has told you, I want you to be faithful in your giving to my work. And you've been faithful in your giving to the work. And then you go see an accountant who wants to help you with your taxes and he looks and he says, oh my goodness, why in the world would you have given that much money to a church? And then he goes off into the financial realm and tells you how much money you could have saved and what this would have done, how it would have built up your portfolio even more and blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, you're looking at this guy and he's throwing out the numbers and he's a smooth talker. And before you know it, you're like, okay, I'll cut back on my giving. Whatever God tells you to do, you need to do it. Don't let others rob you of that. The prophet from Bethel identified with the man of God. He said, I too am a prophet. That's just like the enemy to try to mimic. Notice, Satan can never create anything, but he can certainly mimic what God's created. He knew where to strike this man by saying he's like him. Here's another one. The prophet from Bethel claimed a spectacular experience. What was that? An angel came to me from the Lord and said this to me. Now that causes the man of God to go, well, wait a minute now. God gave this man a sign. I can't ignore that. And, and um, signs can knock us off course today too. Signs and wonders can knock you off course. Now, hear what I'm saying. Can God still do a miracle today? Yes, He can. He's God. He can do whatever He chooses to do. But the Bible, Jesus said, many will come to me in that day. What day? On the day of the great white throne judgment, when God judges the living from the dead. 
And they will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not do many miracles in your name? And Jesus said, I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, those of you who practice lawlessness. Lawless in the sense that I gave you the word of God to follow. And you set up your own righteous laws. You thought signs and wonders, experience, would be greater than the word of God and just obeying me. I don't know who you are. In the last days, Revelation, John said that the great false prophet rose up and he performed wonders, miracles, signs. And, it's, and it says this, and many, in the last days, many were led astray. They followed after the signs. This man comes to this man of God and says, hey, I've this sign from God. God did this supernatural thing. He sent an angel to me. And you have to be careful. You have to be discerning. Just because somebody says, or it looks like it's a miracle, doesn't mean it's from the Lord. Let me say this. Please, church, hear this. Satan can also mimic miracles and signs. In the end, he's going to have the false prophet who will perform miracles and signs. You can go to a church where they're seen to be doing miracles and it's not of the Lord. You say, are you telling me that Satan would actually cause those to happen in church? Yes. What would keep him from wanting to go in the church and do it? That would be the highest honor for him to deceive those in the church. And he tried over and over. And right here he's trying. And he was successful. Let me give you another one. The prophet from Bethel claimed to speak for the Lord. It's by the word of the Lord that I'm telling you you should come home to me, with me. The prophet from Bethel didn't seem to be an idolater who should be shunned. In other words, the guy's in a land where they're worshiping false idols, but this guy doesn't seem to be part of that. He doesn't seem to be involved in that. He, I, think he's, I think he's a good person. Isn't that one of the greatest deceptions of Satan to present people to you who look like they are God followers? They say it a certain way, they act a certain way, but they're deceiving you. Um, I am blown away by the, uh, my parents are older and they get calls, they get uh, emails constantly from these uh, charlatans. And, you know, some of them can even come through the church. They're like they're part of the church. And they, they, I heard of a man who literally, uh, an older woman who was very wealthy, and he was a traveling uh, music evangelist. And he would go to churches. And he would actually, as a predator, he would prey on certain people that had a lot of money. So he, she supported his ministry. Finally, he convinced her, as a man of God, that God wanted him to live in her home. That would be his home base. And she said, well, of course, I've got extra rooms. Come on in. She let him in. In a matter of months, she, uh, he had her committed to a home. She was taken out of her home. He had full authority over her checkbook. He went right out and bought a big tour bus and did all these other things. Finally, they, they found him, they hunted him down, and they brought him before the government. And the guy was, 
they passed a sentence upon him. Acting like he's a man of God. And this guy was not acting. He was not a man of God. He was lying. But, but the young man of God couldn't tell the difference. He couldn't tell the difference. And then let me give you one more. The prophet from Bethel offered no reward. He just offered food and water. Well, that, okay, that discard, that dis, you know, it kind of disarms you. You're not, you're, you're, you're kind of defend, your defense mechanism's up against the king because he's going to reward you. See, there, you got a little trick here. There's not this guy. He's, ah, just come get some water and some bread. You, you, you seem so hungry, and I'm like you. I understand what you're going through, and he fell for it. Look, if you will, verse 20. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. So the lie arose from his own imagination but the true prophecy came from the Lord in the end. So this guy who lied at first, now God gave him a true word for this young man. God promised judgment against the man of God from Judah for his disobedience. What a hard test, man. And he failed it. He was on his way home, had completed the message, and he failed at the end. Satan doesn't, if he can't catch you on the front side, He'll try to catch you on the backside. That's what he did to Jesus. He came on the front side when Jesus first came in the ministry, went to the wilderness, and he tried to tempt him three times. He was unsuccessful. So it says in Luke that he left him, Satan left Jesus, for a more opportune time. He found the opportune time for this man. So Israelites, by the way, when it says the body, your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers, Israelites buried their dead with the bones of their ancestors. You wanted to be buried, your bones next to their bones, okay? Uh, it would be a common grave. So many people's bones would be in the same grave. Uh, the lack of that burial, God said that's not going to happen for you to the man of God. Uh, that's, that's considered a severe punishment and it's a disgrace that your bones cannot rest with your forefathers. So God judged the man of God from Judah more strictly than he did even Jeroboam or even the, the man of God who lied. Why would he judge even more strictly? I'll tell you why. Because you were supposed to show righteousness in a fallen land, and you didn't. God is very strict in his judgment on us. As much as the world is in sin, but we know the difference between sin and righteousness, right? And we're to represent righteousness. So when we sin in the world's eyes, we do great harm to the message of God to the world. That's why it's important that we live faithfully and that we fulfill what God has called us to be and what He's called us to do. Uh, so very powerful. Then verse 23, And after he had eaten bread and drunk and saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back, and as he went away, as this young man of God left the house, he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. Talk about immediate judgment. 
and punishment. Wow. Aren't you glad that when you've sinned against God deliberately, that God didn't send a lion to come to you that day and take you out? Woo! Talk about mercy and grace. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his body was thrown in the road. The lion dragged his body into the road. And the donkey that he was on stood beside the body, next to the lion. And the lion also stood beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. So let me explain this. Both, listen, both the donkey and the lion acted unnaturally. They were under the supervision and the hand of God. First of all, if a donkey sees a lion, what's it going to do? Not this donkey. If a lion kills a man, what's the next thing? Eat it. He doesn't. He simply killed him and stood next to him. When the people are walking by, when the donkey's standing there, the lion didn't leap out towards anybody. He just stood there. God is the one. Listen, even the animals are more obedient to God than you and I. And yet we are called the highest form of God's creation. God would send His Son to die on the cross knowing we would never be as faithful as His creation. Wow. That's a loving God. That's a loving God. Verse 25, And they came and told it in the city where the prophet lived. And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion which has torn him and killed him according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and he found the body thrown in the road and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. Uh, if I were that guy that had lied, I don't think I want to go anywhere around that donkey and lion. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and told it, uh, laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave. And they mourned over him saying, Alas, my brother. So he would not lie with his fathers as the, as the prophecy was given, but this man of God showed compassion. That could have been me. And he took him back and told his sons, put him in my grave. Put him in my grave. Um, he probably identified with the weakness in this man. So uh, the prophecy was fulfilled. The prophet from Judah's bones did not lie with the bones of Judah's fathers. Now, verse 31, And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones besides his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. This was a man of God. He did speak God's word. I believe it. Please lay my bones next to his. Mm. After this, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. After all this, 
he, you know he knew the story of how God took out the young man who had committed far less sin than Jeroboam, but made priests. He went further into sin. Look, Jeroboam made priests for the high places again from among the people. And who would, and, and any who would, he ordained to be the priests of the high places. And this thing became to sin the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and destroy it from the face of the earth. See, Jeroboam should have turned. He should have, uh, he should have refused to continue the path he was on. God was trying to deal with him and show really an invitation to repent. But he didn't repent. He had no desire to repent. He ends up going further, which is exactly what we see in the world today. We can speak truth to people and they get angry. It just makes them even angrier, right? And they go even further in that direction. It used to be that people who were in a homosexual uh, relationship would say to to you or I, they would say, um, look, all we want is just to be, we just want to just allow us to live the way we live. That's all we want. Just let us live the way we live. Then once that happened, now you need to, you need to accept the way we live. You, you need to, and let us promote the way we live and let it become the normal, the, the, the natural way. And they take more and more and more. And the more we speak against it, the more they'll want to stand against what, what God's Word says. That's the way it is. That's the way it works. I've, I've often thought, and I really do, I'm burdened for people who have a, a loved one, a family member, who is in a homosexual relationship, and that person says, hey, I'm going to marry this person of the same sex. And now, if you really love me, you'll go to the wedding. They're forcing you to accept their way of life. And I, I can't tell you how many people I've had come to me and say, what do I do? And my response is, you be faithful to God. Don't ever stop loving them. They're your family, right? You'll never stop loving them. But don't in any way, shape, or form compromise or send a message that you're okay with what they're doing. While they might do it and you love them even though they are in sin, do not participate in sin. That would be, let's put it in another term. So you know your friend is having an affair. You learned it, or you saw it, and you approached them, and you said, hey, what's going on? You're having an affair. And they turn to you, and they say adamantly, just keep your mouth shut and do not tell my wife. If you're my friend, keep your mouth shut and stay out of it. What do you do? What do you do? Because you're also friends with the wife. I know what I do. I look him right back in the eye and I say, hey, you can, you can choose what bed you're going to sleep in, but you're going to have to make that bed. And the reality is, um, I'm going to give you till the weekend to let your wife know what you're doing. And after that, I'm calling her. Because I love you, and I love her. And I'm going to stand for what's right, not, for, not hide what's right, so that you can live in sin. This is the world we live in now. 
These are the choices we have to make. Either you truly are belonging to God, or you allow the world to inculcate you and bring you into a softening, a, com a compromise, which is exactly what this man of God faced at the end of his life. And it does bring destruction. And I don't care how many times your child or your friend tells you, you don't love me. If you can't support this, then you don't. They can say that all they want. The reality is you know you love them. And deep, deep, deep down inside, they know it too. Don't compromise. I'm saying this especially tonight because this is a very real problem among many Christians today. They're having to face these kinds of decisions. Stand true to God. Always love, but stand true to God. Amen? I mean, you think about it. God's bringing down the hammer on the anvil in Jeroboam's life. That's why he sent this man of God to him to begin with. So God's got this hammer, and he is pounding this anvil, this iron that's on the anvil. Here's the problem, though. The iron is cold. It doesn't want the heat. It doesn't want to heat up so that God can mold the iron. So God's hitting cold steel. <laughs> that's what God allows. If you want to do that, go ahead. But you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we see that happening in our friends and in our loved ones, we should still call them to truth lovingly. I don't think we should be belligerent with it. I don't think we should try to be obnoxious. I don't think we should uh, try to continually just throw it in their face. Not at all. But I think they, they need to know where we stand. And once they know, then it's between them and the Lord. You, you get to keep loving them. So I, I will love my family members, even if they are in resistance to God. I will love them. And nothing will ever change on that. I will always love them. I'll love my brothers and sisters. Even if one of you slip away into sin, I will still love you. But I will call you out privately because I love you. Amen? We need, to, we need to really develop that kind of an attitude in this day. Otherwise, we're not going to make it. This is exactly what God has called us to. So, after this day, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil ways. He just went on and continued to sin. Verse 34, And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and destroy it from all the face of the earth. Oh, this is really interesting to me. Very interesting to me. Jeroboam's failure became a prototype for all the disobedient kings that would follow him in the northern kingdom. Let me give you the list. Basha, Omri, Ahaziah, Jehoram, Jehu, Joahaz, Joahash, Jeroboam II, Zechariah, Menahem, Pekahiah, and Pekah. Every single one of them. You know what it said about them? It said they followed in the ways of Jeroboam. That's his legacy, that you were so evil in the sight of God that other kings are compared to you. By the way, there's only one king that is not compared to, Jerob, to, to, Rehob, to uh, Jeroboam in the, in the northern kingdom. Guess who it is? Ahab. The Bible actually says Ahab was worse 
than Jeroboam. <laughs> Everybody else is compared to Jeroboam, but not Ahab. He took it a whole nother level. So we'll one day get to that passage as well. But this is, the, this is where we are, and I want to thank you for being here tonight. Uh, Jeroboam, is a, he, he failed in so many ways. He's a picture of disobedience. Uh, Jeroboam, uh, despite great blessing in favor of God, turned from God. He failed for the sake of the political advantages of being a king. All the wrong reasons. There's no right reason to sin, right? And yet we try to justify ourselves when we're in it, and we don't see it. That's why we need to let others speak lovingly to us and listen to what they're saying, because sometimes we don't see how we're justifying sinfulness. And they, our friends who love us can show it to us if we'll listen. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Father, tonight, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that even though we fall short every day, the mercy and grace of God covers us. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you're not sending a lion after me. Uh, I'm thankful that through Jesus Christ and his shed blood, my sins have been washed away. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, God. And I pray that, Lord, you'd bless every member of the body of Christ that's either watching this or is here tonight, and that we would be faithful servants of the Most High God this week. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless each of you.